Well, I wanna just say to someone that is brand new to CCV right now, uh, I think you're not here by accident. And we're really, really glad you're here. For all of us, let me just tell you before I dive into the message that next weekend is a, a really great weekend. We're having our CCV barbecue weekend. It's a weekend, if you haven't experienced that before, it's pretty fun. We have a really great atmosphere across all of our campuses. We provide some amazing barbecue. And then we provide some games and some fun out for you and your family and friends. And so if you've been looking for the perfect opportunity to invite someone with you to CCV, uh, next weekend is it. I'd also say for some of you that have been at home and you should be here, um, this is a time to get off the couch and not be complacent, but to get back to church, okay, to get back here with us. And I hope that's a chance for you next weekend. And so we're, we're really looking forward to that. So I wanna challenge you to not come alone. I'll be walking through one of the most important episodes in Joseph's life, and I think it's gonna be a great, great weekend. But this weekend, we're in week three of a series we've been in, uh, walking through the life of Joseph. And I hope it's been impactful for you what we've been talking about in this series is that all of us go through detours, and you can't help but look at Joseph's life in Genesis 37 through 50, which I hope you're reading along with us, and you can't help but look at his life and see that um, his life is a, it's a case study on detours. I mean, he just had so many twists and turns, and it's kinda like our life. Um, we know that a detour is when anytime you know, our plans go awry and we go on a different path, and what most of us realizes our life, we'd like it to look a whole lot like this. I mean, we want it to be a straight line up and to the right, no zigzags ever. And that's just not how it happens, right? I mean, what happens mainly in our lives? It looks a whole lot more like this. I mean, it is just squiggles and turns and twists and anybody else's life, you're like, that's, that looks like my life. That's, this is my life. When I look at my life in almost every area, whether I was looking at like dating or finances, or marriage, or my career, or just even my growth. I mean, it's just, it just looks like this. And this is Joseph's life. In fact, his twists and turns are deeper, and oftentimes a lot more hard and painful than ours. And so we're getting to learn from his life how to deal with our detours. And last week, um, Mark did a great job walking through the second detour uh, Joseph was on. Week one, we looked at his first detour when he went into a pit, and then got sold into slavery. And last week, Mark walked us through how Joseph you know, got promoted in Potiphar's house, but then he got thrown into prison because of a cougar. <laughs> not, a, not a cougar as in a cat, for you cat lovers out there, okay? Um, this is a cougar in terms of uh, an older woman trying to seduce a younger man. That's exactly what happened. And I do think it is interesting, though, just side note, that we refer to that kind of woman in cat terminology, not dog terminology, okay? <laughs> That's just my mind wandering, so I, I digress. But the point is, he got thrown in prison by Potiphar's wife, accused of rape, and now here he is. Here he is in a, a second detour. He's in a prison, and where Mark left off last weekend in the end of chapter 39, Genesis chapter 39, the most interesting thing is said about Joseph. Just listen to this. While Joseph was there in prison, <laughs> the Lord was what? With him. I don't know if that, does that confuse anybody else? I mean, I think the way we read this, it's like we're, we're tempted to say, no, 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 no. If the Lord was with Joseph, he wouldn't have been in prison. 
Like your life, the prison you're in potentially right now, whether that's anxiety or relationally or financially, you'd say, if the Lord was with me, I wouldn't be in the prison I'm in right now. And what this one verse, one verse in scripture proves to all of us is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not void and you don't get to, to, to avoid pits and prisons. God is still with you. Whatever you're going through right now, maybe that's just the one thing you need to hear today is whatever you're going through right now, God has not left you. He didn't leave Joseph. The last words of Jesus before he left this earth in Matthew 28, Jesus said this, the very last words he uttered, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now that's easy to think about when you're on the other side of a detour, but not when you're in the middle of it, right? And that's where we pick up Joseph's story today. His second detour, uh, Genesis chapter 40, here's what it says. It says, sometime later, Joseph's in prison, this is sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the custody, put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Now we read those terms, you know, cupbearer and baker, and we think like, well, that's kind of lame. What do those guys do? You know, just bring like, you know, bread and juice to the king? No, these were, these were actually, you could think of these guys as basically they were the secret service of that day for the king. The king was always at risk of being poisoned um, to overthrow his kingdom. And so some of his, two of his trusted inner circle were these two men that really watched over his food and his drink, everything he put in him so he wouldn't get killed. But somehow these two men offended him. Maybe they lost his trust. And so they're thrown into prison, the exact same prison where Joseph sat. So verse four picks up and says this, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended to them. What, what we know happened to Joseph is even when he got into prison, he started to get, getting promoted. He was so faithful in every single thing he did, he kept getting promoted. It says after um, they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cup bearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were being held in prison had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? Why do you have a frown? Let's turn that upside down. Now, you can read that verse and gloss over it. That is such a significant verse. You need to understand this because I wanna take you back to 17-year-old Joseph. Remember 17-year-old Joseph, chapter 37? He is not aware of anyone around him. He lacks awareness. I'm telling you, from, from what we can tell from the scriptures, I mean, he, he, he should have known that his brothers are not really happy that he's dad's favorite. They can't speak a kind word about him, and yet he has a dream and just blurts it out to everybody. He doesn't care about anybody's feelings around him, really. That was Joseph at 17. Now he's around the age of 28, and Joseph has matured. He notices people. He saw their faces. He saw they were dejected. He said, guys, Tell me what's going on. He cares. What's going on? Joseph is maturing. He's growing, and it's happening in prison. Now hold on to that thought for later. They said this. It goes on, verse 8. We both had dreams. This is the cupbearer and the baker. They answered, 
but there's no one to interpret them for us. Let me tell you what the issue was with these two guys. It's the same issue we have. Oftentimes what happens um, when you're on a detour, because these two guys with Joseph, they had their own detour, right? None of them, none of them planned in their life to get thrown into prison, and yet here they are. And so in their prison, their detour, they have a dream. And their dream, they know, has something to do about letting them understand why they're on this detour and what might happen post it. But why are they so dejected? Because no one can tell them or interpret. That word interpret in the Hebrew just means make sense of it. No one can help make sense of why they're on this detour. And my guess is today, that's where some of you are. You're on a detour, and the reason you're so frustrated is because no one around you, nobody can tell you what's going on and what's happening and what's gonna happen in the future. No one can even tell you why it's going on. Not even anybody, I mean, you've, you've come to church to figure it out. No, no one's even telling you, and you're so frustrated because of it. And what Joseph says next, I think should just sink into each of our hearts. Listen to what Joseph says next. Genesis 40, verse eight. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to who? A magic eight ball, a mystic, the horoscope that you've been reading, the news, your favorite commentator. Interpretations belong to one person who is that? to God. That is so significant because oftentimes that's not who we turn to to help us with what's going on. We turn to everyone and everyone, everything and everyone else. And so what I want to do today is I just want to take this episode, this second detour in Joseph's life, and I want to look at, I want to just really quickly look at Three things each of us can learn to help us navigate our detours, as painful as they may be. And if you're taking notes, here's number one. Your circumstances must be interpreted through God's lens, not your limited, limited perspective. Does anybody else here besides me struggle with taking other people's perspectives into account when they don't line up with what I think makes sense? Anybody else struggle with that? Anybody else? I'm glad I'm, I'm only, glad it's only a few of us, you know. <laughs> I really think this has been like a weakness of mine for a long time because as a leader, I kind of like control. I like my view. I like when things line up with I, what I think is going to make sense. And I've just had to learn over time that, man, not only, like, if I, even if I took God out of the equation, I just struggle taking other people's perspectives into account sometimes. And I'll give you the perfect example. Um, it's in my marriage. When I first got married, I could not believe how different my wife's perspective was. What I referred to as the wrong perspective for many years. You know, that's wrong, that's dumb. You know, It's like I just couldn't get in my mind this idea that, that men and women, like I just had no idea how differently we think. And by the way, I don't care what culture tells you, men and women think very, very differently. It doesn't make one better than the other, they just think very differently. Their minds are actually designed differently. You go look at, up for yourself scientifically. I mean, in many ways, the way a man's mind is, is, is designed is a little bit different. In, in a man's mind, we, we men, we have boxes, okay? We have boxes 
that don't touch each other. And we have a box for work, we have a box for kids, we have a box for our marriage, we have a box for hobbies. Did you know men even have a nothing box? Did you know that? We legitimately have a nothing box. Now the boxes don't touch. When we wanna talk about one, we pull one box out, we leave the other boxes in their places and we just address that, that one thing, right? And so this is just kinda how men's brains work. And so even when you ladies ask us sometimes like, hey, what are you thinking about right now? And we say, nothing. We actually mean nothing, like we weren't thinking about anything. Now you ladies are like, how could you do that? Like how would they even work? Because your minds, the boxes are intertwingled. There's like lines running through all of them, right? There's like family, Lindsay and the work and kids and all this kind of stuff, right? And so you know, women's minds are just so different. I mean, I remember early on, I'll give you a dumb example. Jamie and I are like laying in bed late at night and things get a little like intimate and she like hears one of the kids. She's like, I think I heard one of the kids. I'm like, don't worry about it, who cares? <laughs> She's like, I care. I, I can't get that out of my mind. I'm like, well, you, what are you talking about? I can, I get out of my mind right away, you know? <clears throat> Just interconnected. I even had to learn, I mean, this took me a long time to learn this perspective. I had to learn about my wife when she said, I'm fine, she didn't always mean, I'm fine. I'm like, that's weird. The point is this, every healthy relationship, every healthy relationship requires that you fight to see things through the other person's perspective. Isn't that true? Now, I think, Guys, we have a lot to learn. Ladies, I think you have a lot to learn. We both do. But take those, those human relationships aside. Let's talk about your relationship with God, which matters more than any other relationship you have. It's the only way you'll flourish in life. How often are you trying to take God's perspective into view versus just your own? How often are you doing that? Oftentimes the answer for many of us is we never are taking God's perspective into view. In fact, we would oftentimes say that we want God to think just like we do. God should think the way we do and when it doesn't line up we get angry. Did you know God doesn't think like you at all. I mean at all. This may be news for someone here today, but I wanna just, don't take my word for it. I'm just trying to teach you God's word. Let me, tell you, let me show you it clearly. Like listen how clear this is from scripture. Isaiah chapter 55 verse eight, this is God speaking. Just, just, just take this as like, this is God speaking to us. He says this, for my thoughts are not what? They're not your thoughts. I don't think like you. And guess what? My ways are not your ways. And we're kind of like, okay, God, like I know you don't think like me, but how different are we? Like are we off by like a couple degrees? God's like, well, let me just show you how far off we are. He goes on and says this. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than yours. In other words, when it comes to our thinking, we are in different galaxies. 
And what God does is God sees so much further and so much clearer than we do when we're so focused on little right here. We don't even take God's big, big perspective and what he's trying to do in our lives into account most times. When you're on a detour, one of the hardest things to do, one of the hardest things to do is step back and to say, what's the bigger plan that God has going on here? I need to take a bigger lens. So when you're on a detour, you have to, you have to interpret it correctly from God's lens, not your own. Now that means you have to turn to God. It doesn't mean other godly people can't help you. God speaks through godly people, and that's what he's going to do in this instance. I mean, he's going to, God's going to speak through Joseph because he's a godly man. But listen even to what 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, fix your eyes, fix your eyes on not on what is seen, but what is unseen. How am I supposed to fix my eyes on what I can't see? The literal Greek word for fix your eyes comes from this Greek phrase called skopeo, which is where we get the English word for scope. When you can't see something through your naked eye, you need help to see it. And sometimes that help often comes from God's word and God's people. We have to look. Why is that so important? Because the verse goes on to tell us, since what is seen is temporary, like your little view is very, very temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And God is oftentimes up to things that are so much bigger than we can realize. When you're on a detour, realize God may be doing something really big in your life and you just can't see it. But you have to begin to see things through his perspective. You'd say this, if that's the case, then why does this detour hurt so bad? then why does it have to be so painful? I mean, if God was good, why, why would he put me through this? And what we have to understand, and, and this is a hard one, but it's true. Remember, God's ways are bigger than ours. God is much more interested in developing our character than our comfort. I wanna say that again for somebody. God is much more interested in developing your character than your comfort. And I think, especially in America, we've become addicted to comfort. Everything about our lives is more comfort. Com more comfortable house, more comfortable car, more comfortable seats. Hey, I don't have the air-conditioned seats. My life is over! You know, it's like, we just want comfort at all costs. And God doesn't operate that way. God wants to develop our character because remember what we said week one? What is a detour? This is the definition we said. We said a detour is a change in our plans God uses to develop our character and competency so we can arrive at a better destination. And oftentimes when God wants to take you to a better destination, there's some uncomfortable and some, even, even some uncomfort and sometimes even some pain in that. This is where Joseph's at. He's in prison. That's not comfortable. He's likely in shackles. We learn in Psalms, he's likely in shackles. And God's developing him. God's developing him. What God's doing with Joseph is not only that, but number two, here's the other thing I think we learned from Joseph's life is that training for greater things always takes place in lesser things. And it's often a test. It's often a test. In Genesis chapter 41, Joseph's gonna be elevated to the palace, to Pharaoh's palace. He will be the number two most important person in the world. That's where God's going to take him. 
But to develop him for that, God develops him in a prison. Joseph's getting ready to interpret Pharaoh's dreams in chapter 41. In chapter 40, God looks at Joseph's faithfulness and are you gonna interpret faithfully these dreams of a small cupbearer and baker? Remember, Joseph's life has been a series of, of dreams that have come into his life. Joseph's first dream in Genesis chapter 37, he made all about himself. The dreams we see that come about from the cupbearer and, and baker in chapter 40, Joseph gives the credit to God. In chapter 41, you're gonna see clearly here in a minute that, that Joseph has developed to the point where he makes the dream all about God. What is God doing? God's taking these lesser circumstances that Joseph is in and he's developing him so he can go to greater things. And what you need to know is how you respond to lesser things is a test of how you'll do with greater things. And I can't even tell you how many times this has happened in my life. I was thinking this week, and I'll just give you one example. Um, when I was in Bible college, um, one summer we went and spent the whole summer, me, me and a couple of people, traveling the, all around the United States going to different Christian camps to kind of promote the college. So we'd show up at one camp one week, travel the next week, all summer long we did this. And some of the camps were really nice, and some of them were really great, we had a really great time. Um, some of them were not. The worst camp I went to all summer long was a camp in Southern Oregon called Camp Koinonia. And I'm sorry if that's a camp you ever went to, all right? It was a dump, it was bad. The sleeping arrangements were horrible, there's hardly any kids showed up. You know, the whole camp's just, I mean, it's a dive. It is a dive. And when I showed up, it's like, you know, a lot of the leaders, they didn't, they didn't need the leaders, they didn't have enough leaders there, and a couple people dropped out. So when I showed up, they looked at me and they said, hey, you're doing this, you're doing this, and by the way, night three, you're preaching. It's like, what? I didn't sign up for that. This place isn't even nice, you know? <laughs> but this was the first time I had ever preached. And I remember myself, I'll never forget it, I'll never forget it. I mean, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting on this run-down basketball court that had like weeds growing out of the, the, um, the cement, there's no nets on the rims. I mean, it is a junk. I'm sitting there on this basketball court trying to have a little quiet time to prepare a message I'm supposed to preach. And I thought to myself, maybe you just mail this one in. I mean, there's only like 20 campers here. And I thought, no, you gotta take this seriously. This is God's word in someone's life. And we need to hear what you're gonna say. I remember studying so hard for that and I just took it so seriously and I just think back now and I just wonder if, if God wasn't watching how I did with the littlest of things to see if I could ever be trusted with more. I mean, I could just go on and on and on with examples. What dump are you in right now? What dive are you in? Could it be God's watching how you handle it? I mean, let me show you the words of Jesus. Jesus even said this in Luke 16, 10. He said, if you're not faithful with little things, you won't be faithful with large ones. Don't you dare ask for bigger things from God when you're not even being faithful with the little things he's given you right now. He says this, if you're dishonest with little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. God is a God of process. 
Oak trees always start with little acorns. It's a process, and we have to be okay with the process and just realize God's gonna train us for greater things than little things. And he uses those seasons to train us, but listen, he also uses those seasons to test us. See, oftentimes we look at God and we we say this, God, I'm ready for the next thing, the next big thing. My heart's ready. Look at my heart, God. See this? It's good. It feels good. I'm ready. Sometimes we don't even know if we're ready. Who knows what's in our heart? How do you really know what's in your heart? You know when it gets tested. Can I give you an example from real life? When a doctor wants to know if your heart's healthy, does he rely on your word? Hey, doc, my my heart feels great, no issues right now, sweet. No, what does he do? He hooks you up to a treadmill, puts you on a treadmill, and just runs the junk out of you. He tests you like crazy, why? Because he wants to see your heart under stress, under, under like all this pressure, then he can see if some issues come out. That's the only way to test your heart. And for some of us, you know what this last year did? This last 18 months, this kind of detour, it showed us some things that were inside of us. It revealed some things. Do you like what you saw? Do you like it? How do you really know what's in something? Whether it's a sponge or whether it's a piece of fruit, the way you know what's really inside something or someone is when you squeeze it. That's when you see what comes out. And some of us need to realize that the little detours we're under, it's a test, and you better like pay attention to what's coming out of you. And if you're a people leader here, I'll just throw this in for a little leadership. Um, if you're a people leader here, you got a gift last year because you got to observe all the people in your organization and when they got squeezed, you saw some people rise up to the occasion and you thought, whoa, they have more in them than I thought. Then you saw some people stumble and you thought, ooh, we have more work to do there, more development than I thought. But you see what's inside people when they're squeezed. And oftentimes God, in these seasons of detours, is seeing, do you really know what's inside of you? Like, are there some things you need to work on? I'll tell you very personally this past year, I was squeezed. There's some things I like that came out of me that I thought, wow, that's good. There's some things I didn't like. My wife told me she didn't like them. Then I knew, you know, thank you, Lord, for speaking through my wife, you know. I'll just give you one. I really feel like God's been speaking to me all about how to handle criticism. And what I know, and what God has revealed to me so clearly, is that where our church, not just our church, but all churches are that are gonna preach Jesus and stand firm on the word of God, where we are at in our culture today, the criticism will not decrease, it will only increase. And with all the criticism that came this past year, I really feel like it's God saying, hey, you better prepare because the criticism's only going to increase in the future. And I'm so thankful for that because we will stand strong as a church no matter where our culture turns. Amen? Amen. That's what we will do. I wonder what area of your life when you've been squeezed 
God's revealing he wants to develop you? What is it? I mean, just understand, it's how it happens. And what you need to realize is this, is that hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. God has so much more for you. But it's how you handle these hardships during these times that will dictate your preparation for ever receiving more. Let me tell you a third thing we learned from this season of, of Joseph's detour. Here's number three. The length of our detour is often dependent on the speed at which we grow. If a detour is often for our development, wouldn't it make sense that the length of our detour is somewhat, not always, but somewhat dictated by the speed at which we are submitting to God and developing and seeing things through his view so he can develop us. Wouldn't that make sense? Joseph is developing a ton in prison. I mean, he is developing a ton. And he gives credit to God for interpreting the cupbearer and the baker's dreams. I mean, he, he does a great job with this small test. And then in Genesis chapter 40, verse one, it says this, when two years, two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Now Pharaoh has a dream. And Joseph's now 30 years old, we know that. We don't know exactly how long he's been in prison. We know it's at least been two years. It could have been maybe three years, it could have been maybe four years. What we do know is this though, his first detour in chapter 37, leading up to what we covered last week, was longer than this detour. It was likely maybe 10 or 11 years where this one was maybe only two or three years. Why the difference in the length? Could it be, could it be that Joseph is developing at a faster rate now than he did in his younger years? He's just growing faster. I think that could be the reason, and I wanna show you why. Because when Pharaoh has a dream that no one can interpret, the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph. He says, oh, oh, that's right. He told me to remember him, I forgot. Hey, Pharaoh, I know a guy. I know a guy that can interpret your dreams. They call Joseph before Pharaoh, right? I mean, he's standing before the most important man in the world. Joseph's in prison. He thinks his life is over. He doesn't know, right? He's, he can be in prison for the rest of his life. Now he's standing in front of the man that can not only free him, but change his whole life. This is his shot. It's his one shot. It's like an interview. Don't mess up the interview. So Pharaoh looks at Joseph, and read the story for yourself. Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, can you interpret my dream? And what he says next out of his mouth has the potential to either promote him or destroy him. And listen to what Joseph says next. I cannot do it. You just ruined the interview. That, that's gonna get you nowhere. What do you mean you can't do it? I can't do it. I can't do it. Watch what he says next. But God will but God will. And by the way, Pharaoh, there's a God that will, that you don't even believe in, but I've staked my whole entire life on. That's how much faith he has, that's how developed Joseph is in this moment. Can you believe that? I wonder if a 17-year-old Joseph would have given that response. If a 20-year-old Joseph, if a 25-year-old Joseph would have given that response. But here Joseph is, and God has used this season to grow him into the man that he is. 
Would, would he have answered that way at 17 or 20? I don't even know. Here's what I do know. God is not going to bring us to our destiny until he knows we're ready for it. He will not bring you to your destiny until he knows you're ready for it. Emotionally, spiritually, financially, mentally. Why? Because if he brought you there, you'd fail. It wouldn't happen. I don't know what detour you're on right now. I don't know how painful it is. But I just wonder, are you growing through it or are you grumbling? You can either go through a valley or you can grow through a valley. And I wanna talk to just a few different groups of people here today that God just laid on my heart. And this may not apply to you, but you may learn something from it. I wanna talk to singles for just a minute. Singles, listen to me, you're not broken. Nothing broken about you. Don't let anybody tell you that. In fact, in the New Testament, it says that it's better to be single if you have the gift of singleness. Some of you don't have that gift and you, you'd like to not be single. And yet you just wonder why this detour is taking so long. And I just wanna tell you during the season of singleness to be faithful and grow like crazy. Let your goal not be to find someone, but to grow in your faith. If you'll do that, you'll see miracles happen. I promise you that. Because remember, God's more interested in developing your character than he is your comfort. And by the way, if you take things into your own hands and you circumvent this growth period because you're just gonna go after any guy or girl that breathes and has a heartbeat and gives you any look, you'll ruin your life. You wanna know why? Because if you don't grow, do you understand if you don't grow, the person that you're looking for that is that growth person, they're not gonna be looking for you. You're on different wavelengths. You have to become the person you're looking for is looking for. I tell my kids this all the time. I, I, I tell my, I have three girls. I say, here's what you do, here's what you do. You run after Jesus as fast as you can and then you look around and see who's keeping up. And I think that's great advice for those of you that are single. Run after Jesus, fix your eyes on him. Uh, those of you that are married and struggling, you're fighting each other, it's time to fight to see things from the other's perspective. And to get that done, you're gonna need some help likely. And I wanna challenge those of you that are in a really, really hard season to go get some help, get some counseling. We have some counseling resources we will give you and we, they're vetted counselors that we really believe in and you need some help. There's no shame in getting counseling. Jamie and I have gone to counseling. It is one of the best things you can do. Let me talk to a third group and that's those of you that are struggling in your career and you're frustrated. You're watching people get promoted over you. You keep getting passed by and you are so frustrated. My simple advice to you today would just be faithful. Be faithful what God's put in your hands. And stop trying to grab for everything else because God might say, if you're not faithful with this little thing I've been giving you, you keep grabbing for everything else. Why would you be faithful with something bigger? Just be faithful with what God's given you. And don't play comparisons with everyone else. Just trust God's timing that he might be doing something bigger in this hard season than you can realize. I don't know what detour you're in, but I know this. When you're in a dark place, it can feel like you're buried. In reality, God just has you planted so you can grow. And today, I wanna to do something a little different as we try to wrap up our time. I showed you my 17-year-old picture week one, which some of you laughed at, hurt my feelings really bad, you know. 
Um, but today I want to invite your campus pastor to come on stage and to show you his 17-year-old picture and to help you see a little bit of how God's worked through the detours in their life. Will you welcome them to the stage right now? Well, as, uh, as Ashley mentioned, unfortunately this week I, I found a particular picture of me as a 17-year-old. This, this is my glamour shot. The, the pose says I'm really serious, but the purple hooded flannel says I'm ready to have some fun. Yeah. Man, I'm so excited I got to show you that picture. But you know, as, as a teenager, as a 17-year-old, I had no idea that I would be doing what I'm doing today. I also had no idea the journey that God would take me on because, you know, growing up playing sports, I just figured that I would live out my dream of becoming a professional athlete and then my life would be easy. Well, I actually got to live out that dream only to find out that it wasn't as fulfilling for my identity as I thought it would be. And God put me on so many detours in my life, whether it's through injuries or circumstances, and now I'm standing in front of you today, and I would have never guessed that I would have ended up a pastor. But knowing what I know now, and the mission I get to be a part of today, I can now look back on all the detours that God put me through and actually thank him for those because it was through those that my story was written. It was, it was through those that God gave me purpose in my life, and I wouldn't change it for anything. Here's the fact that we all have a, a story, and I bet that every single one of us has detours and challenges that we have in our story. But one thing I know to be true is that God has always shown himself to be faithful. No matter what season you've gone through, no matter what road he's taken you on, he's always been with you and he's always shown himself faithful. How do I know that? Because you're still here and he's still working in and through you. That's why God's word is so powerful and it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So here's the challenge that we have today leaving service. The challenge is sometime this week, I want you to sit down and take some time to, to write out the detours of your life. Take some inventory of the detours. Write out those, those areas where you thought it was going one way, God sent you in another way, and then write out the faithfulness that God showed you through those seasons. It's always powerful for us to remember how God has been with us and to remind ourselves that he is always faithful. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness. And as hard as it is for us to say, Lord, we thank you for detours. Thank you for bringing us to the place that we are today because we know you desire to use our story, use our detours for incredible opportunities that you put in front of us today. Help us lean into you during tough times and praise you during all times. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.